In a world where things seem to go from bad to worse, isn't it time for a little good news? We think so, too. Once again, here's John and Kathy as the ride home continues on 101.5 WORD. I've never met anyone who talks and thinks about animals the way our next guest does, which is why we bring him back on a monthly basis. John Kistler is an animal and a human advocate. And John, we welcome you back. How are you? Thanks. Doing good. Uh, I don't think it's a coincidence. I found out that it's John Hall's birthday and it's the National Day of Prayer. I think there's some kind of correlation there. (laughs) Right. I think we should pray for John Hall on his birthday. See, I wasn't going to say it was his birthday. I was going to let him tell everybody. But, you know, the cat's out of the bag. That's just the way it is. That's right. He's celebrating it on his own. He should have come and kept his mouth. Make sure we kept our mouth shut. (laughs) Exactly. All right. So, um, John, you've joined us on a monthly basis for the last year or so. And... um, each month you have talked to us about a different way of looking at animals. And the, the, your source material is the Bible itself. Right. And you have spent an inordinate amount of time in your life reading what the Bible has to say about animals in a way that no one else I've ever known has. And so when you talk about um, advocating for animals i appreciate the fact that you also talk about advocating for humans that it's not an either or that god engineered our creation so that we would work together that was the way it was intended to be and so whenever there are moments where humans and animals don't work together it's just another example of the fall right and that we are in a process of being restored so last time you were with us last month you laid out for us why god made the creation and why he made animals yeah, in case some of the listeners weren't here for last week's I, or last month's show, I do want to review it a little bit because this is the reason why we are inspired to act to help animals. Why does God want us to help animals? So if you don't understand the theme of the Bible, you won't care. Mm. And I think that's why a lot of people aren't showing their care through actions. They're, um, they're missing a big part of God's creation. Mm-hmm. So what I want to remind you of is that God's intention the creation, as the bumper sticker uh, says— he wanted to hang out with a bunch of naked vegetarians in a garden. That, that was Jesus' plan. That's what he was doing in the beginning. Jesus was walking with Adam and Eve. But when they sinned, God had to drive them out of the garden. But what God told them he wanted them to do was samar and abad. Those are Hebrew words meaning protect and serve. I want you to protect and serve this garden, and then I want your children to spread this garden over the earth. God's plan was for them to turn the whole earth into a garden— a place where they, where God would live forever with them in peace. But that didn't work because they sinned, and the devil also sinned. So that plan was sort of postponed, but God told them, I'm going to send a seed who will rescue you from the devil. He will crush the serpent and his works. So then, throughout the Bible, God keeps repeating to people, this earth will be my earth, I will be here with you. The tabernacle was the first place of worship that God told Moses to build. And there are so many parallels between the tabernacle and the temple and the Garden of Eden. There are cherubim in both the Garden of Eden and the tabernacle Mm -hmm. and the temple. What's a cherubim? A cherubim is an angel that looks like an animal. It has four faces, a lion, a bull, an eagle, and a human. And it has cow feet, and it has six wings or eight wings. It's hard to tell. So it's an animal angel. And in fact, they're never even called angels in the Bible. They're called living creatures, the four Mm -hmm. living creatures. Mm -hmm. But those are cherubim. So God had the tabernacle and the temple with cherubim. The lampstand probably stood for the tree of life. The incense stood for the beautiful smells. The high priest wore a plate with all beautiful stones. We heard that in Eden there were all these beautiful stones. There, 
There's the labor for washing. There were rivers all throughout Eden. And all of this culminated again in the book of Revelation, the last two chapters, when God brings the new Jerusalem back to earth, the whole earth is restored and God lives there with us forever. So we're supposed to remember when we go to worship that God is going to restore everything that was lost. And that includes the entire world. So the problem we have these days is a lot of preachers are telling people that the earth means nothing. God's going to mm-hmm. burn it to a crisp. Why should we give a darn? We're just rearranging so the deck chairs on the Titanic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is just the Titanic, so let's use it up as much as we want. That's mm-hmm. a lie. That's not what the Bible teaches. We will live on the new heavens and the new earth. And it will not be new in the sense of completely new. It will be new in the sense of smelting. God will burn all the evil out of it mm-hmm. and make it perfect. So the theme of the Bible is God making peace with man and the world. As Francis Schaeffer said, when, the, when man sinned, we lost our relationships with God, our relationships with each other, and our relationship to the earth. All three of these things will be restored by Jesus. That's why when Jesus came to earth, he did not spend all his time preaching, trying to fix your soul. He spent a lot of time preaching, but he also spent an inordinate amount of time healing. If bodies and the physical universe mean nothing, then why was Jesus wasting all this time fixing people's bodies? Because he wasn't wasting his time. He was showing that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he will restore everything that was broken. And your bodies were broken, the animals have been broken, the creation has been broken, and he's going to fix all of that. So that's why mm. we need to understand the theme of the Bible before we even care about the animals. God does not just care about souls. That's Aristotle, that's Plato. That's Platonic we call it Platonism. That's wrong. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we are body and soul, and God will heal both and give us new bodies and new souls. Our souls will continue. And if you push that concept of steward from Genesis 2 and push it through the parable of the stewards, the master at some point is going to come back and ask, how did you take care of the creation that I handed to you? Absolutely, yes. And Jesus is going to give back the creation completely fixed to the Father once it's restored. So, Basically, the story of the whole Bible is creation, fall, redemption, restoration. We, we seem to focus entirely on the redemption part and forget about the restoration mm-hmm. part. Mm-hmm. And that's why we're ignoring the physical world to our own peril. We're mm-hmm. missing this whole huge part of life that we're supposed to be helping with, and instead we're just saying, oh, we want to save people. We're missing out on all of the other needs that need to be done on this planet. Mm -hmm. We need to take a break. But when we come back, we're going to talk about what what we can do. So if we believe that we are agents of restoration in the community that God has given us and on the earth where God has placed us, then what can the individual do? How can humans and animals work together, live together, edify one another on the earth in which we're placed. That's coming up next. John Kistler, we're talking animals in the ride home. It'll be our little secret. Now, back to the show. We're talking animals with advocate John Kistler. And uh, John, in the first segment, you talked about God making creation, um, God placing us, placing animals on the earth. What went, what went wrong in the Garden of Eden, how things look now, and we recognize that there's great division and discord uh, on earth, obviously human to human, but also human to animal. So the next question I ask is, if we want to be agents of change, agents of this restoration you've talked about, then what does an individual do? What, 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 what's our job? I've got several ideas to put before you as for what an individual can do, what you can do yourself. The most important thing for all of us is your pets. If you have pets, 
you are most directly responsible for them because basically you've agreed with God that I will enjoy this pet and in exchange he will enjoy his life. So you have to make his or her life good. And the Bible gives three basic principles of care for animals. The first is you have to give them proper food and water. The second is they have to have a day of rest, at least one day of rest. And the third is they have to have be protected from harms, whether those harms are predators, weather, or each other. So when you take on the responsibility of keeping a pet or farm animals, you become directly responsible for them. It's almost like children. It's not too far to say that they become a surrogate family of a sort. Mm. There's a difference between the pet obviously living in the home to the farm animal living in the barn, but there is still a direct responsibility. So that's very clearly laid out in Scripture. And any violation of any of those three principles of biblical care is a sin. Mm. It's wrong. It's not just wrong to be directly cruel. Neglect is a sin of omission. It's just not a sin of commission. Talk about some of the places in Scripture where we find those prescriptions that we owe to animals food and water, we owe to them a day of rest, and we owe to them protection from harms. Well, the day of rest is right in the Ten Commandments, the the Sabbath day commandment. We have examples of Jacob particularly taking care of his flocks, and uh, he even uses, uh, he stops them to rest because they have babies, and the babies can't keep up. So he actually slows down his caravan so that the babies can keep up. Um, the uh, sons of Jacob are cursed for some of their cruelty. They, uh, they chopped up some mules. They cut the mules' legs uh, of some of their enemies, and God cursed them for being cruel. So there's just a number of passages like that, but there's also Proverbs 12.10. The righteous man cares for the needs of his beasts, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. Mm-hmm. So there's a clear difference between cruelty and kindness in the Bible throughout. Mm-hmm. But other things you can do as an individual, aside from with your pets— I'm saying you should also consider your diet. I think it's wrong of us to completely exclude all of what we eat from ethical questioning. The fact that we eat 20 times more meat than we did 100 years ago means something. The reason we have factory farms that are dens of wickedness and cruelty is because we demand that meat be our main course three meals a day. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with meat. All I'm are saying you, are is you, eating... Are you a vegetarian no, yourself? No, I'm not a vegetarian. I stopped at Boston Chicken and had turkey <laughs> on my way over. But I have reduced my consumption of meat because I realize the reason we have factory farms is because we eat too much meat. No one in the world eats like we do. We eat about 200 pounds of meat per year. It was about five pounds a year back in 19. So per person? Per person. We eat 200 pounds of meat. So I say you need to think about that. If our diet is the cause of cruelty, we are in some way responsible for that. If all the Christians cut their meat consumption in half, I'll bet we could cut factory farms in half, mm. or at least a quarter. So diet, you need to consider that as a, an individual question. Also, you can pray. A lot of people seem to think that you only pray. Today is a day of prayer, right? The National yes. Day of Prayer. We seem to think we can only pray for souls and the souls of our families and the souls of our friends. No, we pray when we're sick. We pray for our bodies. We can pray for our animals. Any problem in the world is not too too silly to bring to God. God cares about the animals, so obviously it would be okay if you prayed for them. So I encourage people to do that. Pray for your pets and pray for endangered species and Mm -hmm. pray for animals in bad weather. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. So that's one thing you can do. And lastly, I want to bring up a little bit of politics because we have become too politically inactive on some issues, I believe. For instance, last month, uh, our senator, Pat Toomey, voted, along with all the other Republicans, to allow the killing of bears and wolves in their dens while they're sleeping in national parks and national refuges. 
Now, when are they going to expand this from just Alaska? That's only for Alaska. Okay. Are they going to do that to the rest of the country? Are we going to be able to go into every park and shoot everything we want? I mean, and right now the Republicans are pushing uh, to withdraw the Endangered Species Act. They're saying that Congress should approve every animal on it every five years. And if we don't renew it every five years, the animal's off the list and you can kill it. What, what, is, what are they doing? Hmm. That's craziness. That's wickedness. We're going to have to contact our senators, if, if you're Republicans especially. I'm, I am, but I'm ashamed to be a Republican when you end up like that. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe that bill passed. Now they're trying to gut the Endangered Species Act. That's wrong. We're going to have to be more politically active. If God wants us to be the stewards of the earth and politics is the only way to do that, we're going to have to be involved in politics. What's important about endangered species for the Christian? Well, God created the earth and all the animals he made, he ordered to be fruitful and multiply and team and multiply in the oceans and on the land. So if we are, by our own selfishness, taking away all the land and the habitats God gave them to live in, you know, Psalm 104 says God created the mountains for the badgers to live in. God created the trees for the birds to live in. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say he created them for you to kill everything you want in. So if we are destroying species, we are committing a grave sin as a, as a species ourselves. We're destroying what God, what Jesus made. I'm not saying every individual creature has a right to live all the time. I'm not an animal rightist. But every species has a right to exist. And if we're going to go kill them because we like the the color and we like them on our shelves as uh, trophies, there's a problem with that. And we are, in effect, becoming Darwinian and saying, well, we're stronger. So, you know, if they were stronger, they should survive. Yeah. And it's sad to me that it's the Darwinians who are actually promoting protecting species. And it's the Christians who are saying, no, let's just wipe (laughs) them out. Who gives a darn? (laughs) Well, there's a lot of inversion going on right now. Yeah, there's a lot. (laughs) And that's the understatement of the day. We're talking to John Kistler, acting to help animals. How do we live practically? We'll continue our conversation on the ride home after this. We're talking animals, we're talking creation, and we're talking our role as human beings. John Kistler's back with us. All the information about John is available right now on our Facebook page, The Ride Home, with John and Kathy. In our last segment, John, you mentioned things that we as individuals can do to be agents of restoration as people who follow Jesus. And what does that look like to be responsible in how we eat and responsible in how we treat our pets and responsible in how we deal with with nature and creation? What about the church? What about institutions? Yeah, this is important because we have institutional evils, which are like factory farming and things where a group group think allows you to do wickedness without feeling bad about mm-hmm. it because you have reasons You're to insulated. do it. I'm saying that the church should be institutional good, where group think causes you to do be merciful and kind in ways you might have not thought of otherwise. Mm. So many of the evils I've spoken about over this last year, what I'm trying to do is let the general public know what is going on because evil thrives in darkness and secrecy. Mm -hmm. That's why factory farms get states to pass ag gag laws, agricultural gag laws, which means you can be arrested for trying to take photographs of a farm. If you report on anything going on at the farm, you could be arrested for violating their privacy rights. Everything is done in darkness. And so a lot of what I've been doing is just telling you what's wrong, because a lot of people don't even know Mm -hmm. what evils are going on right under your noses, because in a way, you don't even want to know because it's so nasty. Right. Mm-hmm. You'd rather not know. And I hope that that it's really not as bad as people say it is and that somebody else solves it. Right. But unfortunately, it's probably worse than you think. Um, I try to tame things down so I don't upset people. But mm. things are even worse than I've said to some degree. But because evil thrives in secrecy, what we have to do as a church is act in light. 
And we need, in order to destroy these evils, we have to know what the evils are. Mm -hmm. And how does the church know what an evil is? It's usually because a pastor preaches and teaches on these things. Now, I hear lots of sermons from pastors about homosexuality, about abortion, about pornography. These are all evils we can all gang up on because hopefully we're not involved in them. It's a lot easier mm -hmm. to point fingers. But what about the evils of factory farming and the evils of cruelty to animals? Have you ever heard a sermon on that? I've never heard anything mm -hmm. about that. No. The only place you might hear about it is in an ultra-liberal church where they don't even believe the Bible. Mm -hmm. And this is another case of reversal, where it's the liberals who are actually doing the right thing for the wrong reasons, when we <laughs> who know better are doing the wrong thing because we don't care. That really worries me that pastors are to some degree ignoring the whole counsel of God. We're supposed to be preaching all about God's creation and world and creation fall redemption. But instead, we're looking at trees abortion, homosexuality, we're looking at a few trees and we're ignoring the forest. The forest is the earth. God created the earth for us to take care of and protect and serve, Abad and Samar. In the tabernacle, the only other times those two words in Hebrew were used is are in the Garden of Eden and to the Levites. When God tells the Levites, I want you to Abad and Samar my tabernacle. My place of worship must be protected and served. Hmm. Well, if the earth is our place of worship now, if the whole earth is to be, to be God's kingdom, then the church is supposed to be Abad and Samar, protecting and serving it. And we're not. Why are we ignoring it? In fact, the, the Great Commission, I pointed this out some weeks ago, in the book of Mark, the Great Commission is quite different from the other versions. It says, go out into all the world and preach to every living creature. This is where St. Fran Francis of Assisi got his idea of preaching to the animals. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus was saying, go out and preach to the salamanders, because the salamanders won't have any idea what you're talking about. But what it means is the disciples are supposed to be giving the good news to everything on earth. What the church, the kingdom of God, is supposed to be bringing change to the whole earth. Everywhere. Everywhere. And so my dog and cats should the only way they are going to and, and c.s lewis has written about this the way they are going to know of the creator is not through their imagination as we do but rather um or imagination or experience but rather they're going to experience the creator through us yes and there's a wonderful case of this there was a revival i believe it was in 1907 in wales it's called the welsh revival and it was a town of miners who were the nastiest, swearing, gambling, prostitution people you can imagine. An evangelist went there and preached to them, and there was a revival, and they were all saved. And the next day, when they went to the mine, the donkeys didn't know what to do, because everyone had always just swore at them, and they no longer used their swear words. So the donkeys were totally <laughs> clueless. What do we do? They had to come up with a whole new training system for the donkeys. <laughs> so yes, Christianity is supposed to change your life. And it was Francis Schaeffer in the 1970s, he wrote a book called Pollution and the Death of Man. Mm -hmm. And this is where he said, we have to heal our relationship to God, our relationship to each other, and our relationship to the earth. And why isn't the church doing something about pollution and the environment? That was 50 years ago. And where is the church doing anything now? We should be on the front of it, Absolutely. is what you're saying. Mm -hmm. So the main problem or the main thing the church has to do is awaken. We're not going to have a revival in our country. We won't have another great awakening until we meet needs. As long as our heads are in the clouds and all we're thinking about is our souls, we're not meeting needs of people or animals or planet. We're being selfish. We're, we're not. I mean, even the idea of evangelism, let's go evangelize people. That's a wonderful thing. What about everything else on the earth? 
We're focused mm-hmm. so much on one little personal salvation. We're ignoring that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords of the whole planet. And that's why we're cruel, because we're not recognizing God's ownership of the animals, God's ownership of the earth. We're only looking at ourselves. Mm-hmm. So the basic root of all evil is selfishness. John Kistler with us. All the information about John available right now on our Facebook page, The Ride Home with John and Kathy. We're going to step away. We're going to come back. We've got some more moments with John Kistler as we close out the 5 o'clock hour on The Ride Home. Oh, isn't it good to have John Kistler here? Oh, gosh, we're just going to apply him with all sorts of questions. Um, We've been talking about why God made um, the animals in creation, what we can do to be agents of restoration and reconciliation on Earth, and what should the church be doing. Um, Also, though, there are just a bunch of questions that I want to ask, and so this is going to be like rapid fire. Um, You mentioned cherubim at the beginning. Um, And so talk about cherubim, where where they're spoken about in the Bible, and what they are. Well, cherubim are fascinating. I've studied them quite a bit. And in fact, um, there was a man named Pember who was a brethren preacher who talked about how cherubim are proof of animals in heaven. And I agree with him because the cherubim are always called in the Bible either cherubim or living creatures. They are never called angels, not anywhere. Hmm. The only reason we call them angels is because they have wings and they live in heaven with God. Hmm. So we think of them as angelic creatures, but they're never called that. And we have very narrow categories. Yeah, and in the book of Revelation, in fact, in Revelation chapter 4, it talks about all the angels worshiping, the living creatures worshiping, and the elders worshiping. They're a whole different category. They're not even lumped mm-hmm. in with the angels. Mm-hmm. The cherubim are are the most identified in the Bible. They're all through it. Ezekiel is the best place to learn about them. That's But everywhere we see them, they have four faces. And the four faces are the lion, the eagle, the bull, and the human. And the reason that's interesting is because those happen to be the animals we associate with the four major animal kingdoms on the earth. There are humans, there are predators, there are domestic animals, that's the bull, and there are eagles, which are birds. So in a sense, the birds represent the fish and the birds from day four of creation, or pardon me, day five, and then day six is where God made the mammals and the humans. So, and God always said in Genesis to Adam, I put you in charge of the creatures that walk on the earth, the the animals that live with you, the domestic animals, the cattle, he calls them, and the creeping things. So we associate, I believe, the cherubim represent the four animal kingdoms. And it's interesting that when Adam and Eve were thrown out of Eden, God stationed cherubim with a sword at the tree of life to keep them away. I would think that this is a reminder to Adam and Eve that Eden will return and that there will be animals there. Just as we have cherubim there now, they will be there when we get back. The cherubim will be there in the future. So I believe that around the throne of God, these cherubim carry God's throne. So it represents God planning to live on the earth because all four animal kingdoms are carrying his throne everywhere he goes. They fly. It says they carry him around on the wings of the wind. So the cherubim are sort of God's bodyguards and people who say there can't be animals in heaven are just already wrong because there are animals in heaven. There's living creatures there. Hmm. It's fascinating. No, you're on. Okay. How about Balaam? We've talked Balaam to, and the donkey. Yeah, we've talked about Balaam and the donkey before, but it's, it's a personal favorite of mine. Yes. Well, I think it's one of the most interesting stories in the Bible, and it, it especially gives us some understanding of what animals know, because everyone wants to know how smart are animals. Mm-hmm. Well, Balaam's donkey gives us a very clear example, because there's only a couple ways of looking at it. God opens the donkey's mouth, and she talks. Now, it's interesting that he is, or that the donkey is called a she, because this means it cannot be God speaking. A lot of people say, oh, it was just an angel talking out of the donkey. No, because it says, and she spoke. 
as far as we know, there are no female angels, or at least it doesn't say there are. So mm-hmm. it was the donkey herself who was talking. And what does she say in reply to Balaam? Have I not been your faithful donkey for all these years? Have I ever done this to you? So she has a memory. And what does she remember? She remembers that she belongs to Balaam and that her work is to serve him and that she has always done this faithfully. And the reason she's upset about being beaten is because it's unjust. She's trying to protect him, but she has no way of telling him that there's an angel with a sword about to kill him. So she stops and Balaam beats her for stopping. And then she says, you shouldn't have done this to me. This was wrong. And then Jesus, the angel says, you shouldn't have beaten your donkey. I would have killed you and left her alive. So he gets the double hammer. He gets rebuked by a donkey, and then he gets rebuked by Jesus for it. So people who it's say a rough day. <laughs> people who say Jesus doesn't care about animals aren't reading Balaam's story because that was Jesus standing there rebuking him for beating his donkey. And so also the donkey had a sense of justice. Yes, and I believe most of what I would call higher animals have that. I, I call higher animals animals who have a brain. I'm not sure about insects, whether insects have brains, in other words. I mean, they have some sort of brain, like bees. They know where to fly and stuff. But I'm not sure that I would give them the same kind of understanding. The other story I brought up when we talked about Balaam, the other story in the Bible is about King Nebuchadnezzar when he's cursed and becomes a, a cow. Mm-hmm. Yes. Basically, God. it says God removed his sanity, and he became like a, a cow or a beast of the field. And he ate grass like a cow, and he grew long nails. And then it says, when God restored his mind to him, he remembered and gave God the glory. So I do believe there is a definite difference between human and animal brains, but it's not that vast. It's We are capable of abstraction and spiritualization. It doesn't seem that animals sit around thinking philosophically. Mm-hmm. Although the monkey in, in the pose with his finger on his chin looks very thoughtful, <laughs> he's probably thinking about what he's going to eat or who he's going to have sex with. Mm-hmm. There's not a whole lot of philosophizing going on. Mm-hmm. That's where we're different. They're not doing mathematics. They say crows can count to three. They've proven crows can count to three. So, you know, that's not higher mathematics. But animals do have a sense of justice. They know that they're a part of our lives and that they're supposed to be serving us, mm. at least the domestic animals. God created domestic animals to be with us. It's not unnatural. Animal rights people say we should have no yes. animals in our lives. They should be living in the wild and free. Well, that's baloney. God made cattle. Cattle is domestic animals. He made creatures that we protect and work with. Mm-hmm. There are wild animals we're not supposed to. We can train them, but they're never going to be domesticated, even elephants. They're trained. They obey usually. But they're not domesticated. Some Mm. animals just aren't supposed to be. Mm. Talk about horses. They seem to be God's favorite animal, at least in heaven, because in heaven, those are the animals mentioned the most. Elijah gets picked up by a chariot drawn by uh, flaming horses. And in the book of Revelation, Jesus reconquers the earth with millions of angels on horseback. Mm. So there are apparently millions of horses in heaven. Now, I don't know if that means they're like angelic horses or if these are actually the horses that have died and now are awaiting the new earth. I, I don't really know. I prefer to think the latter. It makes more sense. But God loves horses. In fact, uh, even now, it says the angels who are watching the earth, in Zechariah, I believe it is, um, angels patrol the earth for God like reconnaissance, and they go back and report what's going on. They're riding horses. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, God loves horses. Okay, one last thing. Talk about Adam's command to name the animals. That was God's first way of saying, you are in dominion over the animals, and I want you to see what you're getting into. The first step 
to having dominion is knowing what you're having dominion over. And so Adam, God brought all of the animals before Adam, not every animal, not the creeping things, probably the mammals and the birds. You know, he couldn't get to the fish because there was no ocean in Eden, probably. And the bugs, he wouldn't have time to count them all. But God wanted him to see the, oops, I just lost, Go ahead. there it goes. God wanted Adam to see you're in charge, and I'm going to let you, gives you some freedom. I'll let you name them. God names the stars, but God lets us name the animals. Hmm. We are supposed to have a close, nice relationship with them, not a close adversarial relationship with them. So we've gone totally off off when we, when we sinned. Hmm. I love when you're here, John. It's just been fabulous. So you're on your way to Arizona in the next month or so. Yeah. Maybe okay. in two months we can talk on the phone. Okay. In, in an interview. Okay, fantastic. Just so you know, all of us in Pittsburgh are going to miss you. We have gained so much by what you have taught us. I cannot even, I cannot over-exaggerate it. So thank you for all your time on the air with us. Hopefully thank we you. can reconnect once you're out west. Dave Moore, subbing for John Hall today. Dave, thank you so much. Thank you, Kathy. It's been great, John. Thank you for being on. Yes, we've been celebrating the National Day of Prayer. And also, may the 4th be with you. May the 4th be with you. <laughs> we can do both at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Have a great night, Pittsburgh.